Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast for Book 6, Chapter 14. The whole party is about the premier New Year's Eve party. What? And the Rostovs preparing for it. How do you think they will be received once they arrive? Natasha takes on the role of getting the family prepared and dressed for the party. How do you think her role might change with their impending bankruptcy? The Rostovs are arriving a bit later than they intended. Will this be considered fashionably late or embarrassingly late by other guests? Karaka Kick Ass says, After all the preamble, I am filled with dread for this ball. In a novel, I'd rather read about someone dying than someone being humiliated. Interesting. Brett Peterson said, I just had a thought I wanted to share, not necessarily related to this specific chapter. It would be awesome if someone who knew how to write and wanted to do the research would write a spin-off War and Peace set at the same time, but from a different point of view of the serfs. An interesting concept. A very interesting concept. You know, it's funny having read War and Peace. I still don't really know. You know, I don't even feel like I could do that. I don't. You don't get much of a point of view of the serfs at all. So even having read a book set in this city, in this time, in this situation, you still don't feel like you get any point of view from the uh, the perspective of the serfs. Acoustic Eels, filling me in on yesterday, that word I was struggling to think of, and I always struggle to think of this particular word. Acoustic Eels says, the word you're thinking of is synesthesia. It's an entanglement of the senses. So when one sense is stimulated, the synthesis involuntary experiences a second sensation in a different sense most commonly is the association of a specific color with a letter of the alphabet a number of musical pitch a smell or another stimulus but theoretically any combination of senses is possible i don't know if i have synesthesia myself or if i just like to imagine things and form connections but sometimes when listening to music i hear a chord as a shape several chords in harmony as several shapes interlocking and harmonic progressions as the shapes moving or spinning. Well, that's really cool, especially if those are locked in. That means you could learn, well, you, you might have already, but you could learn musical theory just based off how those shapes interact. It's almost like a pneumatic aid. Um, Acoustic Gear says, I also watched the first episode of Love on the Spectrum. It's a good concept, and I like that they had LB. LGBT people on there as well. I felt a little bit bad about the guy whose mum laughed at everything he said and did. I know he's autistic and doesn't think the same way. Um, well, I think that guy, I think I know the one you mean, but I th- I really felt like he, I, th- I feel like, you know, he was trying to be funny. Everything he said was hilarious. <laughs> um, and I feel like he, yeah, I, th- I feel like he was doing that intentionally. I, th- I th- you know, he had very, very deadpan delivery of everything he said, um, but he made his autism into, you know, a, a, a gold mine of comedic, uh, I don't know, of comedy, I should say. Um, I've got friends on the autism spectrum, and they're hilarious people, and they are more than willing to joke about it, you know? Um... And so yeah, I, I feel I feel you, because they were laughing at him a lot. But I really felt like he, I don't feel like he felt like they were laughing at him. I feel like they were laughing at the jokes that he was throwing up, and he was doing it. You know, he was being very deadpan and almost like anti-jokes kind of thing. But I think I knew. I think he knew how funny he was, right? Surely. The thing I didn't like about it, I mean, I loved it. I was actually like glued to the television. I've watched two more episodes since. 
It's, it's extremely entertaining. But just structurally, even the first episode, it starts off, we're all laughing at how funny these guys are. And they are funny. And by the end of it, it has like a kind of... It tugs on the heartstrings, you know. And it's almost meant to be like, yeah, you asshole, you were laughing at, at it and thinking, you know, how much fun it must be. And yet, here's the reality, and it tries to sort of like make you feel bad for laughing. But then it's like, no, the producers for sure were laughing as well. Like they definitely stacked the episode front heavy with hilarious things and stacked the end of the episode with, you know, uh, heartwarming or you know, tear-jerking things. And so, you know, it's like, no, I don't feel bad for laughing because you produced it in such a way as to make me laugh. Anyway, great show if you haven't watched it. It's on Netflix. Um, let's keep reading, eh? I'm ready to have my dinner. So let's get this done and I'm going to go and eat some pizza. Chapter 15, Natasha had not had a moment free since early morning and had not once had time to think of what lay before her. In the damp, chill air and crowded closeness of the swaying carriage, she for the first time vividly imagined what was in store for her there at the ball, in those brightly lighted rooms with music, flowers, dances, the emperor, and all the brilliant young people of Petersburg. The prospect was so splendid that she hardly believed it would come true, so out, so out of keeping was it with the chill darkness and closeness of the carriage. She understood all that awaited her, only when, after stepping over the red bays at the entrance, she entered the hall, took off her fur coat, cloak, sorry, and beside Sonia and in front of her mother, mounted the brightly illuminated stairs between the flowers. Only then did she remember how she must behave at a ball, and tried to assume the majestic air she considered indispensable for a girl on such an occasion, but... Fortunately for her, she felt her eyes growing misty. She saw nothing clearly. Her pulse beat a hundred to the minute, and the blood throbbed at her heart. She could not assume that pose, which would have made her ridiculous, and she moved on almost faintly from excitement and trying with all her might to conceal it. I can hear the uh, the garage door coming up, by the way, right now. That's my partner getting back with the pizzas. Oh, I'm kicking this into overdrive. I'm hungry. <laughs> um, and this was the very attitude that became her best. Behind, Before and behind them, other visitors were entering, also talking in low tones and wearing ball dresses. The mirrors on the landing reflected ladies in white, pale blue and pink dresses with diamonds and pearls on their bare necks and arms. Natasha looked in the mirrors and could not distinguish her reflection from the others. All was blended into one brilliant procession, on entering the ballroom, the regular hum of voices, footsteps and greetings deafened Natasha and the light and glitter dazzled her still more. The host and hostess, who had already been standing at the door for half an hour repeating the same words to the various arrivals, Charm de Vervoir, delighted to see you, greeted the Rostovs and Peronskaya in the same manner. The two girls in the white dresses, each with their no rows in her black hair, both curtsied in the same way, but the hostess's eyes involuntarily rested longer on the slim Natasha. She looked at her and gave her alone a special smile in addition to her usual smile as hostess. Looking at her, she may have recalled the golden, irrecoverable days of her own girlhood and her own first ball. 
The host also followed Natasha with his eyes and asked the Count, which was his daughter. Charming, said he, kissing the tips of his fingers. In the ballroom, guests stood crowding at the entrance doors awaiting the Emperor. The Countess took up a position in one of the front rows of that crowd. Natasha heard and felt that several people were asking about her and looking at her. She realised that those noticing her liked her, and this observation helped to calm her. There are some like ourselves and some worse, she thought. Perinskaya was pointing out to the Countess the most important people at the ball. That is the Dutch ambassador, do you see, that grey-haired man? She said, indicating an old man with a profusion of silver-grey curly hair who was surrounded by ladies laughing at something he said. Ah, here she is, the Queen of Petersburg, Countess Bezakova, said Perinskaya, indicating Helena, who had just entered. How lovely she is, quite equal to Maya Antonovna. See how the men, young and old, pay court to her, beautiful and clever. They say Prince Dash Dash is quite mad about her. But see, those two, though not good-looking, are even more run after. She pointed to a lady who was crossing the room, followed by a very plain daughter. She is a splendid match, a millionaireess, said Perinskaya. And look, here come her suitors. That is Bezakova's brother, Anatoly Karagin. She said indicating a handsome officer of the horse guards who passed by them with head erect, looking at something over the, he- over the heads of the ladies. He's handsome, isn't he? I hear they will marry him to that rich girl, but your cousin, Drubetskoy, is also very attentive to her. They say she has millions. Oh yes, that's the French ambassador himself, she replied to the countess' inquiry about Corlane Court. Looks as if he were a king. All the same, the French are charming, very charming. No one charming, no one more charming in society. Ah, here she is. Yes, she is still the most beautiful of them all, our Maya at Antonovna. And how simply she is dressed, lovely. And that stout one in spectacles is the universal Freemason. She went on, indicating Pierre. But put him beside his wife and he looks a regular buffoon. Pierre, swaying his stout body, advanced, making way through the crowd and nodding to right and left, as casually and good-naturedly as if he were passing through a crowd at a fair. He pushed through, evidently looking for someone. Natasha looked joyfully at the familiar face of Pierre, the buffoon, as Perinskaya had called him, and knew he was looking for them, and for her in particular. He had promised to be at the ball and introduce partners to her. But before he reached them, Pierre stopped beside a very handsome dark man of middle height and in a white uniform, who stood by a window talking to a tall man wearing stars and a ribbon. Natasha at once recognised the shorter and younger man in the white uniform. It was Bolkonsky, who seemed to her to have grown much younger, happier, and better looking. "'There's someone else we know, Bolkonsky. Do you see, Mama?' said Natasha, pointing out Prince Andre. "'You remember, he stayed at night with us at Otranoi.' Oh, you know him, said Perinskaya. I can't bear him. Il fait present la pluie et le beau temps. <clears throat> he is all the rage just now. He's too proud for anything. Takes after his father and his hand in his glove with Speransky, riding some project or other. Just look how he treats the ladies. There's one talking to him and he has turned away, she said, pointing at him. I'd give it to him if he treated me as he does those ladies. All right, there we go. That's another chapter for you. It's pizza time for me. Have your say on the subreddit. Thanks for listening and I'll see you tomorrow.